Hello and welcome to another episode of the Public Affairs in Practice uh, podcast. Um, this time I'm really fortunate to, to have uh, Valeth Kavitha Krishnan um, for an interview. Uh, she very kindly agreed to come in and, and uh, have a chat with me about public affairs in, in general. But um, Valeth has worked in a number of communications and public affairs role currently for the Scottish Government. So Valeth, do you want to tell us a little bit about your current role and how it works? Yes, yes. Um, so I'm currently a team leader in the Justice Transformation Policy Unit in the Scottish Government. Uh, before I go any further, I know this is a very cynical thing to say, and I know not all of your readers, or all of your listeners are really lovely, but I just have to say any views I express today are my own and are not the views of the Scottish Government. I feel like I just have to put it up there just as a disclaimer. So I just thought I'd make that really clear. Uh, but thanks very much, Stuart, for having me on the, on the show today. Uh, but yes, you're right. I, I've had a number of communications role and I started working for the Scottish Government last year in June 2022. Uh, I joined as a senior policy advisor in the Child Protection Unit and I was recently promoted as team leader uh, in the Justice Transformation Policy Team. That sounds hugely impressive. So how, how have you sort of come to this place? So what was your sort of path into public affairs and, and was it something you always wanted to do? Was it always a, a you know an aim in life? God, when I was a child, I didn't even know what public affairs was. Actually, when I was a child, I wanted to be an astronaut. Uh, and I wrote to Neil Armstrong, and thanks to some very bad advice from Neil Armstrong, I gave up my dream uh, of being an astronaut and just did not really pursue that. Uh, I, I grew up in a very conservative native Indian home uh, from birth. I was raised in Qatar. I went to an Indian school. My parents are very traditional Indians. So as most stereotypes go, the options offered to me were doctor, engineer. Uh, and if you were not going to follow a STEM career and followed finance, uh, then you could still redeem yourself by being a chartered accountant. Uh, but of of course, if you went into liberal arts, dead to us. Uh, so I, I chose commerce. I did not go into chartered accountancy. I dabbled briefly in television journalism. So I studied, I did the course for television journalism, but unfortunately, I didn't break into Al Jazeera as my fantasy went. Uh, so in an alternative universe, I'm somewhere floating in outer space, broadcasting journalism from outer space. But in this life, uh, in this universe, I went down the public relations slash public affairs route because that's where my mother worked. My mother worked at Weber Shanwick um, and then she uh, introduced me to someone who then who, who gave me a job. And I worked in public public affairs for uh, about six years uh, and I had an opportunity to then specialize in crisis management and I did that for about six years and then I came back to public affairs during COVID in 2020, did that for a couple of years and then of course now I work for the Scottish Government. So a very long, long windy route I would say into public affairs but not something that I had naturally chosen, just uh, chose a couple of interesting jobs one after the other. Do you still have the letter from, I presume it was a letter from Neil Armstrong, was it? You've got from somewhere? I do. I do have a letter from Neil Armstrong. He very kindly did send me a map of the moon with his autograph on it. So it is one of my cherished treasures from my childhood, really. So it, feel, it, it feels a bit of a LinkedIn post there where, where somebody sort of says, you know, gives the good advice. You could probably say, well, Neil Armstrong told me this and it was complete rubbish. Uh, so, look, and, and, and as you say, you're with the Scottish government now. 
are there di- and it's more of a sort of policy sort of role as i understand it so is there differences there or similarities there between the more sort of i suppose harder public affairs political engagement type roles and this new sort of scottish government type role more on the policy any any, any similarities differences there um, I'll start with the differences because this is a big one for me and it took me a while, I suppose, to wrap my head around it. It's sort of the relationship between uh, civil service, Scottish ministers, special advisors. That's so unique, the way civil servants are appointed, how they serve the government in a neutral way. That principle of neutrality is really, really important. You don't really have a parallel to that in the private sector. So, you know, you work for whatever shell example, what organization you work for, and you know, what your CEO sort of sets the organizational goals agenda for the day, and you're expected to follow it. And they don't expect independent, neutral advice from you. You just, you know, toe the line and you're expected to do what they want you to do. So, um, there is, I guess, a sort of parallels if they bring in a consultant who maybe provides some independent partial, impartial advice. But yeah, that analogy still doesn't really work. So I think that relationship between you know what civil servants do, Scottish government and special advisors do, I think that that was very unique to me, the way that they all work together. Um, in terms of similarities, I would say the bit around stakeholder engagement, I find is really... important. It's a very, very Scottish government. Obviously, it's a very huge organization uh, and there are lots of different professions within it and policy is just one aspect of it, which is where I work. Uh, and having worked in this for about 16 months, I have found certainly that ability to work with stakeholders, with with third sector, with local government, with partners, with agencies, that skill of engaging them, whether they are advocates, detractors, that's really, really important. Uh, and that's something that was really vital, whether that was public affairs or public relations. So that's a really good skill to have. Uh, I also found having worked in public relations for a very long time, uh, that outside in perspective was really useful. So uh, this is me dating myself a little bit. When I started out in public relations a long time ago, I remember starting my day by doing media scanning or, and I absolutely did not like that at all uh, because it was done in an old fashioned way where you read the newspapers and you had to snip articles and then you glued them onto an A4, you scanned them and you sent it to the client. And by the time you were done, it was midday and it was useless. Uh, so I, I just, I didn't like that at all, but it did, you, you get used to it. And as I matured more in, in my career, I found value in doing that. And I have to say, I'm somewhat of a news junkie. I do like reading the news, despite it not being really great for mental health on some days, depending on what the content of the news is. But I do find that having that perspective of what's actually going on, that's relevant to your sector, that's relevant to your policy area, it it makes you aware of what's coming up in your horizon. Uh, and it, it, it makes you think about the impact of what you're doing uh, and gives you, I guess, a heads up of what's, what's coming up for you and helps you with your long-term planning so that outside in perspective having that horizon scanning ability thinking about that that's i think that's really useful in this role as well i think uh, you, uh, look, you're entirely right i mean i i uh, again am old enough to remember when monitoring was the same way with the cut and paste literally the cut and paste and then faxing off to to clients which always seemed a bit yeah but you're right by sort of you're still doing it at sort of late morning early afternoon it's nearly your whole working day has disappeared just sending across uh information which seemed a bit bit pointless but i think you're right that uh, you know the the 
some of those skills there that you you indicate that are those transferable skills that that public affairs can can give you in 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 other roles and actually just getting on with people get you know engagement working with different audiences i you know is is a key part of that i believe and, and it's one that you've mentioned there as, as being particularly important do you, do you find you have sort of some some challenging audiences i mean i'm not uh, n- not trying to <laughs> stop and over or anything along those sort of lines i hasten to add very good people all around but that maybe don't quite get that in the same way don't quite work together in the same way but you from a public affairs perspective can really bring that in and not necessarily teach people but 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 help them learn and appreciate the value in that that closer working relationships I much to the annoyance of my colleagues and constantly sending them media articles uh, on Saturday or on Sunday or on Monday. I just send them, oh, have you seen this article in the Times? Have you seen this article? And I know that they're probably inundated by media monitoring news that they probably get from our colleagues anyway. But on top of that, I do kind of send them and I add the add the context. And I know sometimes they find it annoying, even though they don't really say it, but I know they appreciate the fact that I, that I do do that because it gives them an opportunity for us to maybe engage with our stakeholders and say, you know, we've, we've read about this. We just wanted to make sure this is something that you're considering. Uh, we do have engaging audiences. We do have engaging stakeholders. And they are, it is quite challenging. And it is because they are working in, you know, challenging circumstances, whether you're local government, whether you're agency, you know, the environment that you're, that you're working in right now is very challenging. Uh, I know people like to talk about COVID quite a lot and they think, oh, pandemic, that old bugbear again. But in reality, I think people are still recovering from COVID, still recovering from the pandemic, from the pandemic. And, and and they are trying to deliver really important work under very difficult circumstances. So I do appreciate those challenges and uh, I wouldn't criticize them for it. And and we are all trying to work together to this to the same objectives. We just have to find a way to do it do it together, I suppose. Yeah, I, I mean I I always think people underappreciate other people's workloads generally. I mean across the piece, but particularly when it comes to, to governments and, and you know official civil servants they've got an awful lot to do and an awful lot of people to manage. And, and, you know, I guess, you know, Scottish government is probably the same as any other organization. There's also an, a lot of internal, I was going to use a sort of slightly sweary word, but you know, rubbish that you have to, you know, contend with the meetings and all these sorts of things as well. But we, you know, particularly from an outside perspective, it can be easy you know, to, oh, I think too easy, just dismiss people's workloads. Really. I think, you know, the priority should be, you know, the priorities that you hold. The one thing that I do really value about working in Scottish government is, as you know, I, I have worked in Shell, I've worked with ExxonMobil, and it was very challenging having to read constantly critical, negative media coverage about these organisations that I was working in, uh, and having to sometimes occasionally defend working for these organisations to whether friends or family who had very negative views about this organization, whether rightly or, or wrongly so, because I did enjoy my work, but irrespective of what I thought about the organizations, my work was really, was was still enjoyable. Uh, but I find it slightly different working in the Scottish government, where you still do get a lot of negative media co- coverage about what we do. I know it's, it is it is a role of the media and the public to hold us into account. I get all of that. But despite all of that negative media coverage, I still find it, meaningful to come into work every day i do find that the work that i do is making a difference uh and i do enjoy my work and and all the negative media coverage in the world will not cannot really detract from that so that's something i find really different uh, i guess working in scottish government i think i was listening to a podcast actually just in the last few days and they talked that was a an international survey i think by one of the um sort of leading 
I think it's accountancy or, or a firm, something along those sort of lines. And it was about, you know, how, how chief execs expect people to be back in the office sort of five days a week in. I can't remember how many years time it was, five years or whatever. Just thought that sounds completely naive, really. Um, and the trouble is, from the media's perspective, on the one hand, you've got sort of, you know, it, it creates divergences, doesn't it, between, you know, the, those from sometimes more the public sector, but other parts of the private sector as well, who may or may not be in all the time. And then see big businesses saying, no, no, we want people in all the time, et cetera. It sort of creates that expectation that people will go back. But I think I'm not sure they, I'm not sure they will. I think most people are like yourself, which is, you know, some days in working with people, engaging, building relationships, but that doesn't have to be all the time. Yeah, and I think also it depends upon people's personal circumstances as well. I know that I, I definitely like coming into the office uh, and that's new for me. I, I remember in my previous role, I absolutely did not want to go into the office. I like my home working environment. I like the window that opened out into the garden. I like working from home with my cats. It, the environment was completely different. But now in my in my present circumstances where at home I'm a mother, I'm a, I'm, I'm a wife, I kind of feel like getting out of the home environment into the office environment makes me feel like a professional. So a couple of days in the office, it makes me feel really productive working in the office. I like being able to meet people, talk to people. So I do enjoy that a couple of days a week. But for entirely pragmatic reasons, a couple of days a week, I do have to work from home. And that might be for completely mundane reasons because you have to accept a delivery that will continue to re-deliver for days and day after day. And you really need that urgently. Someone needs to be at home to receive it. So it might be very practical reasons or you have to the plumber or the electrician. And so and but people still continue working you know it's not like you're streaming in the background while you're trying to work that's actually not possible for a lot of the roles so uh yes I, and i know equally there are people who actually like really like working from home they feel really productive working from home because it's very noisy in the office at the moment i know people talk a little bit around how you know being in the pandemic working during the pandemic or during the lockdown has I guess changed some of people's social skills and they don't really realize for example how loud they might be when they were talking or you know their behaviors in the theaters for example so they're it is quite different now coming back into the office and they found it maybe too loud or too overwhelming for their senses and they find it more more productive working from home so people should be measured maybe by the quality of their output rather than the location of their work is is what I think. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that entirely. I think, uh, yeah, hopefully long gone are the days of having to go in, you know, five days a week because it just doesn't suit everybody. Um, yeah. You're being productive and you can work with colleagues. I think it's, it's the, you know, working with colleagues, creativity that can deliver. And I think also for newer, you know, entrance yeah. into the profession, yeah. actually having some face time with them and helping them through and doing the, the things that, you know, we learn to do public affairs by, which is, getting your hands dirty, working with colleagues, learning from them, that is much more difficult, you know, virtually, not impossible, but much more difficult virtually. Um, we just have to make sure we don't forget, you know, those other entrants in, into the newer entrants into profession. And actually, I mean, I know that's something that you are, you know, particularly active in is, is the women in public affairs, which is about opening up again, as you uh, feel free to put me right here, but opening up more opportunities for the yeah. profession. I mean, do you think there are practical steps that organisations can make to having a much more inclusive approach? 
Um, I have to say uh, people who are much more qualified than I am, who, who have explored this in great depth, have a lot more experience than me, have talked a lot about, you know, gender pay gap, about flexible working for women. Uh, they've talked about support for women through the different phases of their life, whether that's, you know, through through pregnancy, returning from work after having taken a career gap, or whether that's through through menopause or something, I'm really glad people are talking about quite a lot as well. Uh, so all of those things have been talked about quite a lot. I'm going to look at it from a slightly maybe different approach, and that's around maybe normalizing more men taking longer parental leave. I know at the moment there are probably some organizations who do that by exception where fathers are given you know three four six longer parental leave but i think the norm is very much two two weeks maybe a month uh i think if you normalize more men taking longer parental leave when their children are born that would really help women quite a lot uh because it means that they're not the only carer it helps their return to work a little bit as well uh I think that's that's definitely an important step. Also normalizing more men or male professions in flexible working, compressed hours. Uh, at the moment, I know, for instance, a lot of mainstream professions that are traditionally dominated by men, that there isn't flexible working, there isn't uh, compressed hours or, or part-time working or job sharing. So maybe normalizing that more a little bit for men would make it a little bit easier for women because they're not solely responsible for picking up children from school, dropping off children from school, doing wraparound childcare. Um, Whenever there are any strikes that happen in school or school closures, we know that women are still disproportionately impacted by that because that responsibility for childcare falls on them and shouldn't be that way. So getting, I need support. And there are men who want to be supportive. They want to be more involved in parenting uh, and they just don't probably get that support from the organization. I think that's a very practical step that maybe more organization can actually do. I think that's a really critical point and uh, I'm glad you raised it because, you know, yes, the emphasis is often on how organisations sort of compartmentalise these things, you know, so it's, you know, women's hours or, you know, maternity leave, etc. But as you've said, actually a broader approach to working practices can actually be, at, not beneficial, but as beneficial um you know so there's a compartmentalized approach which which doesn't really seem to work very well frankly it's made improvements but it's not it's not like it was um and and you mentioned covid earlier on i think you know there too it sort of brought a lot of those points into very sharp focus isn't it i mean like, so women did end up picking up the homeschooling side of things by you know sort of by implication osmosis just you know yeah. and and um and I think a lot of women's careers did suffer because of that as well. And yes. we're still coming out the other side of that. So I think organisations need to recognise that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, another part of your career, which you've always taken very seriously, is is training. So for full uh, disclosure, so we first met um, when you did the uh, Diploma in Public Affairs Management that I run for the for the PLCA. So I know you're a big advocate for training. What, what, what do you get out of training or what would you, um, this isn't a sales plug for the uh, you know, PLCA or, or CNIPR course that I run, but um, uh, yeah, why, why do you see training as, as important in, in your career and how, how has it played an active role in your career? Um, I, I'm a huge fan of learning. I didn't enjoy it so much when I was in school. I have to admit, I think it's probably because there was a lot of 
academic pressure to succeed. But once that pressure came off and it was left entirely up to me, I found great joy in learning. I love learning. I love studying. Uh, the first thing I like to do anytime I, I have the, I'm introduced to something new is, right, where can I read more about it? Where can I learn more about it? So when I took an active interest in politics, specializing a little bit more in public affairs, I wanted to know more about how government works in the UK, which is incredibly complex. And I didn't have the chance to do that in any of my previous roles. I had a big picture idea, but not the finer granular details or the mecha mechanisms of it around legislation, around lobbying. Um, and I felt simply reading about it isn't enough. And I felt having training, having uh, academic support, uh, having networking, meeting other peers were really important and that and that's what PRC gave me meeting other people who were interested in the same sort of thing talking to you uh, and I think at the end of the course as well there was a little bit of the thesis aspect of it which then like enforces you to do your own independent research which I which I really like doing so I'm a huge fan of training and development and it's not and as much as I do like the the academic aspect of it there's also the day-to-day -day aspect of it so you know find other ways like volunteering so as you know uh, for briefly I was on the CIPR uh, public affairs group for a, for a while uh, and then with the women public affairs Scotland group again and all of those came together because I was deeply interested in public affairs um, I'm currently looking to see if I can be an independent prison monitor in Scotland because that would give me a little bit more understanding of the prison population, the prison service, the sector a little bit more. And that kind of links back to the work that I do and understand a little bit more around justice transformation. So a huge advocate of learning in every form, whether that's through, uh, as I said, through doing courses, through reading, through independent research or through volunteering. So, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, you're an inspiration to us all frankly I mean crikey to do that amount and to be uh, you know to have a family you know as well as a career and to do the volunteering and to look at these other options as well that's hugely hugely impressive frankly um, and um, look Helly just to, to sort of just bring our chat to a sort of a close are there any top piece of advice that you've received or anybody that's particularly influenced you and your approach to not just public affairs but but, but across your career as well I I thought a lot about this question and I have I know I think this is more about how my brain is wired on my personality, but I couldn't remember any bits of good advice. I do remember all the people who helped me along the way and I'll never forget them. A lot of people I still talk to them uh, uh, every chance I get, especially when I make any progress in my career, they're the first people I want to share those that news with because they had an instrumental role to play in my in my career development. So those are all people who's whose input I have valued and I continue to value. Uh, but the bits of advice that I remember, all the bad bits of advice that I got, uh, Neil Armstrong aside, uh, I, I remember someone who told me, uh, uh, stick to your lane, for example, which I think is horrible advice to give someone who's, who's new in their career. The only places where you should be sticking to your lane is if you're swimming in a pool or you're driving on the road. Otherwise, it's just not relevant at all. If anything, I would say be be nosy, be be curious, don't stick to your lane and look, look what's happening outside of your lane. That's really, really important. Um, but I would give, if, if 
if you may, if, if I could give one bit of advice to anyone who's new, who's starting out, who's young, uh, or even to my younger self, really, is don't put too much stock in, in the advice that other people give you. By all means, go out, seek out people who are experienced, uh, who are doing what you want to do, and, and try and seek out advice, but then don't put a lot of stock in it just because they've got some ears on you uh, that does not automatically impart you know translate into wisdom uh take what works for you and what's right for your circumstances because i know i mean jokes aside i know that some of the advice that i got was very damaging uh was not really very helpful, uh, was overly negative and critical, and it didn't really help me at all. And it put me off and it, it affected my self-esteem. So I, I, I think that's the advice I probably give to a lot of people is just, you know, when you seek out advice from other, others, don't necessarily take it as read or take it as being completely true. Pick and choose what really what really works for you. Um, well, I think that's a, that's a fantastic piece of advice. For, for others to take as well you, uh, yeah you can because people have some grey hair or some as you say some years on the clock there can be an automatic assumption that you know they know exactly what they're talking about but look, they can be winging it the same as anybody else can and, and they may not always be you know talking the absolute truth you have to filter that and work out what's best for you and so I think your advice Valeth, is, is yeah, absolutely spot on and thank you um, look and thanks for joining me uh, for this uh, podcast that's really kind thanks for your time and um, good luck with the uh, the rest of the Scottish government career and maybe we'll have you back in back into the the, the wider public affairs or uh, you know yeah, or in-house type role soon as well we could be the the next the rest is politics just you and me that's probably what we should be doing the next Hello. rest is that sounds that sounds good to me a bit a bit of advertising there as well and uh, <laughs> you can then retire on the proceeds <laughs> Brilliant. So Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye.